Well, if you can make your way to your seats, we're going to go ahead and get started. Just to let Corey know, I was a little more than a minute and 33 seconds, but that's okay. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to continue on the series of sermons that we did, uh, that we started last week called The Kingdom. And today we're going to be talking about uh, something that's called the Kingdom Mandate. It is also often called the Dominion Mandate uh, in Genesis chapter 1. But we're going to look at how the Lord and how God himself has chosen to try to set up his kingdom here on this earth. Before we, did it, before we do, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever looked at a word that you've written down or typed? Uh, I know we don't do a lot of writing these days. Most of it's on the computer. But have you ever written a word down and you looked at it and you're like, there's no way I spelled that correctly. And it's just so odd. It's like you spelled that word your whole entire life, but now all of a sudden you wrote that down or you've typed it out and you're like, this word cannot be right. Now, I've had that happen to me several times, but it happened to me uh, a couple weeks ago and I literally bothered me so much that I went and pulled the dictionary off the shelf. Now, yes, they still make Webster's dictionaries, just in case you're wondering. But yeah, I know, right? Yeah, thanks. Uh, and so I pulled it out, I opened it up, and sure enough, I had spelled it correctly. And I'm thinking to myself, I still don't believe that this is right. It's just amazing uh, how our minds can sometimes play that trick on us, on ourselves when we look at something and it just doesn't look right. Uh, a few months ago, I was teaching a class and I was trying to um, use a word that I thought was... Uh, exhaustive, and I could not say the word exhaustive correctly. I was saying something like exhaustive, and I was pausing in the middle of the word. I couldn't understand. And, and the funny thing was, that as I was pronouncing this word in regular conversation with my class that I was teaching, I was teaching a leadership class at the time, and everyone else in the class started saying the word exactly the same way I was saying it. And then one of the students, after about an hour and a half of the class stops, he goes, you know, Mr. Moore, I don't mean to interrupt you, but are you saying that word that way on purpose? And I said, what? What do you mean? And he goes, you're saying exhaustive, and you're putting a pause in the middle of it. And, I, and it was just the way I was reading it off my, my paperwork. And I said, yeah, but I said, no, I'm not saying, that's not how you say the word. It's, it's exhaustive. I know how you say the word. And I said, but I don't know why I was saying it that way. But the funny thing is that all of you were saying exactly the way I was saying it. Fast forward to today, when we look at this kingdom mandate, we look at this kingdom idea. See, oftentimes, when we hear the word kingdom, we only repeat what we hear. Sometimes God has to remove the lenses from our eyes to show us exactly what the kingdom of God should be about. Many of us have for years, and I, I include myself in that, would think that the kingdom of God was somewhere up in heaven and we're waiting for us to come. And we're waiting for the kingdom of God to come down to this earth. But in reality, Jesus made it very clear in Genesis uh, or I'm sorry, in all of the apostles when Jesus was walking this earth, that the kingdom is here and now. Even the verse that Corey read during worship. Seek first the kingdom of God and all else shall be added to you. We are called to seek the kingdom of God. And see, sometimes we have to stop and we have to look at things in a different light. Or here's the other thing. How many of us in church services heard pastors preach about I can't just wait. I, I have been acute. I have done this myself and said, I can't wait until I leave this earth and I can enter into the kingdom of God. You know, and we think that we're in this place. We're in this quote unquote difficulty of a place. And we're just waiting for God to take us out of this place and take us into a new place. Well, what happens when we have this mindset, when we have this mindset of, I'm just here putting in my time, right? It sounds like we're in what? Jail, right? It sounds like we're here just waiting to do time until we can leave this earth and enter into the place that we're truly home. In fact, I have often used, and I will probably continue to use the word, that we're just aliens here in this place. All of those, all of those concepts are exactly opposite from what God wants us to view things. 
Do you understand that when you think of this place as just a temporary place, what we're really doing is saying, I don't care about what's going on here, and I just want to wait to get there. But when in reality that God is asking us to do with this kingdom idea is for us to accept that God's kingdom is here and now, and that we should operate in his kingdom here in this place. Now, does that change everything? Yes. Does it change every single thing that you're doing? Maybe not. Are we still going to evangelize? Yes, we are. Are we still going to do outreach? Yes, we are. Are we still going to do all of the, Yes, we're going to do all of the things that we have done. It's just looking at things in a new way. Today, when we open up this Genesis chapter 1, and we see what God was trying to do in Adam and Eve, my hope is that you begin to see how God was trying to create his kingdom here on this earth from the very beginning. Let's pause and pray, and then we'll jump into Genesis chapter 1. And Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to be with you. We pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts even more, clarify to us this idea that your kingdom is here today, Father, that we don't have to wait to die and go to heaven, that we're not here in some jail sentence here on this earth, but we are to enjoy the kingdom of God in this place. Father, I ask you that you just... Help us today. Open our eyes, our ears, our senses so that we can grasp a hold of everything that you would say to us. Lord, we pray that you would, your Holy Spirit, we pray to you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our senses, open all of those things, remove those hindrances and those things that keep us from experiencing you in this way. Help us today to follow you. Lord, I pray that my words would not be my own words, but they would truly be yours, Father. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get started, Pastor Chas, will you do me a big favor? Can you hand me my phone? I texted myself something last night that I really want to read to you, and I don't have it here on me, so I'm going to read it later on, but I'm going to need it. So instead of doing it in the middle, I'll do it now. So, Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not. My stomach's fine. I'm feeling good. So, okay. <laughs> For those that don't know, I got sick a couple weeks ago in the middle of uh, preaching, so... Uh, and had to run out that door. Um, All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, before we jump in, you have to understand that this is God giving a mandate to Adam and Eve. This is God releasing to Adam and Eve the creation of this earth. We see that in the very beginning of this verse, God says, and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, before you get real excited, all of you married men, right? I'm not here talking about anything that talks about multiplying here on this earth, right? That is something that we can do, but that is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about why God was giving them this mandate. Here is God creating Adam and Eve there's only a few of you that actually caught that, by the way. Miss Tanya caught it because she hit Chaz on the side. So, But we see God saying to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Now what is God doing? God has set up this kingdom. God has created for six days prior to this in Genesis chapter 1. We are reading how God has created everything on this earth. God has come into this place and he is creating his kingdom exactly the way that he wanted it to be created. Understand that you do not, if you are the creator of something, you have choice over it. Right? You have a choice over how it's going to be created, how it's going to be made, what it's going to look like, the color of the paint that you're going to use, and all of those things. 
right? Some of you today may not be handy enough to go out and create something out of wood or create something uh, or whatever it might be. So some of you may, but perhaps maybe you've went to the, I mean, it's, it's a totally new uh, concept to me, but you, know, you actually go to the uh, dealership and you get to build your car, every little piece of it. It's like pre-ordering now. You can choose the color of the carpet. You can choose. It's really weird to me. That's just because back when I bought a car, you'd go there and you'd say, I want that one. That one looks good. That has everything I want. And you'd go, right? Today, you can choose all of those things. You are the creator of that car that you're choosing. God is doing the same thing here. uh, I mean, in a much grander scheme, right? I'm not comparing God to buying a car, right? Just make sure you understand that. That would be silly of me to say that. But what God is doing is he's creating his kingdom. He has come down. uh, I can't even use that word. He has come to this place and he's creating here in this place his kingdom. He has also created Adam and Eve. And so what is he doing at this point is he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you dominion over my kingdom. The things that I created, the things that I have made, I am passing over to you, giving you power in this kingdom. Not that you can be the king, but that you can be the one that subdue and has dominion. The only one that can give power over their kingdom is what? The king. Right? The king, unless he, I forget the word, uh, releases or gives up his throne. There's a, there's a, yeah, what is it? Abdicates. I didn't play uh, Scrabble last night, so I can't use that word, right? (laughs) But abdicates, if he gives up his throne, that's the only way the power can be transferred from one person to another unless he is killed. Well, that's one way of abdicating your throne, right? But God is saying to Adam and Eve, I have made this and it is good. I have made everything here, the sea, the fish and the birds and all of the heavens and everything that's in it. I have given you plant and and food to eat and fruit on the trees, all of those things. I have given you all of these things and what I am giving to you is good. And so therefore go and take dominion, subdue it, build it, make it yours. It is your kingdom. He was placing Adam and Eve as managers within his kingdom, if you will. He has not given them all of the power, but he's given them power over creation and the things that he has created. Now, does that mean Adam and Eve get to go do everything that they want to do? No. What does God say to Adam and Eve later on? You can have anything that you want except one tree. Why does God do that? God does that because what he is doing is he's saying, listen, I am still king. I am still the one who is on the throne. I am in authority of of this place. And so therefore you can have whatever you want, but this one you cannot have. Why? Because I am still king. It's the knowledge of good and evil that God does not want to hand over to Adam and Eve. The dominion mandate and the kingdom mandate mandate is, (laughs) almost sound like I said kingdom mandates, right? Uh, (laughs) The kingdom mandate and the dominion mandate are very similar, tied in together with each other. Some people do call this the dominion mandate. I like to call it the beginning of the kingdom mandate, the mandate that God has given to Adam and Eve. Only the king can tell someone to fill his kingdom, to subdue his kingdom, to build his kingdom. And that is exactly what Adam and Eve were asked to do. You know that um, when you have a child, right, it's the most gracious and wonderful thing that has ever happened. You know, you, we, we as parents can't wait to bring children into this world. And we look, I, I mean, I can't wait for another grandchild. I can't wait for Corey and Lena and, and another child and, and all of these things. It's great, right? Those are wonderful things. Unfortunately, what has our culture done in this place today? We have decided that we're going to be king and who can we keep and who can we not keep, right? We get to decide. We are trying to still become kings in this place. In fact, it's a sad reality, but today in China, if you're born, if your firstborn is often a female, you know what happens to it? Oftentimes today it's killed. The, ba- the child is killed because they want males. They do not want females. That's still happening today. In this world, see, we are we are still attempting to become kings of this kingdom. 
We're still trying. But God tells us to subdue and have dominion. Fill the earth, subdue and, and, and it, subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing. God is asking us, he is giving us permission to take control, to give us his power. Do you see what's going on here? God has created this beautiful kingdom, this beautiful place, the Garden of Eden. It's the most beautiful place. It has everything that Adam and Eve could ever want. And not only does God say, you have the keys to the kingdom. You can subdue it. You can have dominion over it. You can manage it. You can do whatever you want. In fact, I want you to go out and I want you to name all of the birds and all of the animals and everything. He's giving us a job to do. He's giving us a a purpose, a reason for living inside of his kingdom. He just wants us to continue to make it his kingdom and not our kingdom. Unfortunately, there's always a but, right? Always. And so what happens? We find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You know what Satan was doing at this moment in time? He was trying to get Adam and Eve, and he successfully did it, to get them to become the kings of that garden. He wanted them to be like God. He wanted them to be like God, to understand God, to, to, to have the power and the control. Satan was so jealous of God. He was so jealous of what God had created on this earth that he wanted Adam and Eve to destroy it because he didn't want God to be the only one with the power. He wanted the power, and so he has Adam and Eve eat. We find that, verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, isn't sin always a delight to the eyes? How many men are failing in their relationship with their wives today because sin has delighted their eyes? How many women, for that matter? In fact, it's not just men, right? How many times do we look at something saying, that's so nice, I want that, but I shouldn't. I know it's not right, but I want it. It was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. See, it's not just the way it looked. They're also seeing that it's wisdom. Give me wisdom, God. Oh, yeah, the devil says, I'll give you wisdom. All you got to do is eat of that tree, right? Instead of asking God for the wisdom that, that God promised to Adam and Eve, They are now trying to seek it on their own. She took of its fruit, ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's always a but in every situation, and I don't just mean because of what was covering the loincloth, right? Or what the loincloth was covering. That's not B-U-T-T, that's B-U-T, just to make it clear, right? Okay. There always is. See, the problem of it is is that God is trying to establish his kingdom here on this earth, and Satan does not want his kingdom here on this earth. And so what does Satan do? Satan challenges Adam and Eve, gets them to desire something that God said don't desire. It wasn't just merely that it was the fruit of the tree. It was the power that came with that. It was denying God his kingdom. God said you can have whatever you want. You just can't have that. That's the only thing you can have. The reason why Satan went after that and he didn't go after any other fruit of the, of the garden was because that is the one that God said no. Why did God put anything in the garden that was no? Is because he wanted this still to be his kingdom. He needed still to be in charge. It's better when God is in charge. When we are in charge, what happens? We mess things up. It is why every leadership meeting, it's why every time I make big decisions, I don't just make a decision based upon the way I feel, even if it feels right. 
I pause and say, God, let me have your wisdom. Help me to make the right decision in these situations. Help me to say the right words. Help me to do all of those things. Why? Because it is his kingdom. It's not my kingdom. I have to release that to him. It is me as a servant of his, asking him, my king, the directions of how I use the power that he's given to me in his kingdom here on this earth. That's why the kingdom mandate is so important. That is why we have to understand. Why? Because God's hope has been that he could establish his kingdom on this earth forever, from the very beginning of time. Genesis and Adam and Eve was no mistake. This was God trying to get us to live in his kingdom the way that he wanted it to happen. What happens? We mess it up. Fast forward in your Bible. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Just a few chapters over, eight chapters later. We find an amazing story, a story that you may understand and know, but I'm going to ask you to look at this story in a different light. Noah and his family have just been on a boat. They received, God gave a mandate, it gave directions to Noah to go build a boat, right? And so Noah goes out and builds this boat, and we love the Sunday school story of all the animals two by two coming to the ark to enter into the ark. It's a wonderful, amazing story. But you know why it's happening? Because God is about ready to try to restore his kingdom on this earth again. What happens? Noah gets on the boat, and the rain starts to fall, right? 40 days, 40 nights, the rains fall, the, the, the skies collapse, there's a great flood, and everything on the earth is killed, except for what was on the boat. What is God doing? God is reestablishing his kingdom on this earth again. He's trying to say, listen, the first kingdom that I created, Satan and man and, and Adam and Eve, they took it and they went in a different direction, so what am I going to do? I'm going to restore my kingdom. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 7 says, And God blessed Noah. This is after Noah has sent out the Holy Spirit, if you will, the dove out to find dry land. The, the dove brings back an a, uh, olive branch, a sign of peace, a sign that there is land. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Let's pause there for a moment. Where did we hear that before? Now listen, I know I've not been speaking that long, and I know I'm kind of boring, but I'm not that boring that you should forget that we just read those verses, right? The exact same verses that he gave to Adam and Eve, he is now giving to Noah and his sons. Oh, but he doesn't stop there. The fear of you shall, and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered." Every moving thing that, shall, that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for you, your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whatever sheds, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. If there was never a take two, that it was so easy to see. This is a take two. This is where God says, listen, okay, you're going to be, Adam and Eve, you messed up. Cain, what did Cain do? Cain killed his, son, his brother, right? Killed Abel. And what does happen? We, we see that the division there, Cain goes off the rails and he starts doing some really amazing, nasty things and it causes a division there. And so God gets to this place and he's like, listen, I, something has to happen here. I can't, I speak as though this, we surprise God. God was not surprised by any of this, just to make sure you understand that. If I mistakenly make it sound like God was surprised, he was not surprised in any way, shape, or form of this. What is surprising is for me to read this story and say, how can we as men and women be so stupid that we miss out on the idea of what God is trying to do here? 
What happens? God has done all of these things, and he begins and wants to establish his kingdom again on this earth. And so he does a take-two. He wipes out the whole entire earth. He brings Noah and his sons to this earth, and he says, okay, listen, you have everything. Go forth. The only thing that's different in this verse that's not different from, or that was different from Adam and Eve, is that he begins to lay down this idea of if you shed blood. There's a requirement there. But the reason why God is doing this is because what he had seen with Adam and Eve and their offspring, that it was easy for man to take the life of another man. God meant the flood, meant by the flood was to reset his kingdom. He is again coming to this earth and trying to establish his kingdom. It's no mistake that the words in Genesis 9 are the same as Genesis 1. It's no mistake that God is telling Noah to go and subdue and multiply and fill the earth exactly the same way that he did to Adam and Eve. Why? Because God is always good. God, you have to understand, it's not God who is bad. It is us who are bad. God is good. This is his kingdom. God rules in his kingdom and his kingdom is perfect. And what do we do? We manage to mess it up. We manage to come in and do things that we shouldn't do. And so God is saying, I'm going to restore my kingdom. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to establish this. Now, I don't have enough time to go over all of the other stories, but think about this for a moment. What happens after Noah? Noah begins to multiply, do all of the things, he and his family, they begin to do all of these things. Eventually, what happens is humans build a tower, right, called the Tower of Babel, and they are doing this to do what? They think that they can get to God and they can be like God if they build this Tower of Babel. And so what does God do? God goes, well, I I can't have this. I'm going to come down and I'm going to separate you and your languages. And he does that. Every single time God tries to bless us as people, we end up messing it up. Why? Because we listen to Satan and we don't give God the glory of his kingdom here on this earth. We allow to think that Satan is in his kingdom. Now listen, Satan was sent down to this place. There's also scripture that says Satan is the prince of this world. He is not the king of this world. Do you understand that? The king of this world is Jesus Christ and it is God himself. He is the king. Satan may be a prince of this land, but he's certainly not a king of this land. And so when we listen to Satan and we allow him to interject on our lives and cause us to do things that are anti-kingdom of God, we are, in, we are, in essence, joining with him in trying to destroy the kingdom of God in this place. The kingdom of God was meant to be a place that's perfect. The kingdom of God was meant to be a place where we followed the king. The kingdom of God was meant to be a place that was beautiful, where love abounds, where everything we needed was right here. There is nothing that we would ever want or need that we wouldn't be able to have. God gave us everything we needed right here in this place. But what did we do? We messed it up. Or I heard what someone else said back there, but I wasn't going to say that from the pulpit, so... (laughs) This goes on eventually over and over and over again. We find this story. If you read your Old Testament, you see that this is true. What does Israel, God's chosen people, we find it Abraham, right? I mean, let's, let's uh, not even jump up yet to that, uh, the, the land of Israel. Let's just fast forward to Abraham for a moment. What does Abraham do? God comes down and says to Abraham, uh, you'll, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, as the sand of the sea, uh, of the, the uh, yeah, numerous as the stars, they'll be countless. You're going to have all of this. These are your descendants. Abraham, <laughs> old, his wife old, starts, in fact, his wife laughs at God when he, when he says this. And what happens? He tries to force it to happen on his own again. Why? Because, see, we as humans aren't, we are still listening to the lie of Satan. And, trying, and Satan wants us to try to be the king of this place, because if we're the king of this place, guess what? There's no time for the true king 
to be in this place. It's only when we come to this earth and we say, I'm not the king, I'm just a servant living for the true king, that the true king can be established in this place. Satan's job since the very beginning was to get us to deny that this is God's kingdom, that this is God's place, that God created this place. Instead, what we see this place as, and what Satan, I believe, has done, is caused us to think of this place as just a side note that we're passing through. But in reality, what we are is we have the opportunity to live in God's kingdom right here, right now, in this place. What happens to the uh, people of Israel? Israel, in fact, later on in the Old Testament, if you read through your Old Testament and you allow this kingdom idea to open up in your mind, what you will later on see in, um, in 1 Kings is Israel decides they want not only a king, which is smart, they want a king. It should have been God who was their king, but guess what they did? They didn't want God as their king. They wanted a human God. They wanted a human king. They wanted someone who was going to serve them. And that's the whole book of First Kings and Second Kings is how, how humans try to be the king over God's chosen people. There's no one that can truly be king over God's chosen people except for the king in heaven, which is Jesus Christ himself. We don't have time to go through every single story. I wish we did because it would be an amazing journey. But let's just pause here for a moment and say, God solved this by doing what? By sending the true king in human form to this earth, to live on this earth, to die on the cross for us. By the way, when he's dying on the cross, what did they do? They formed a a crown of what? thorns, and they placed it on his head. What did the sign above Jesus's uh, cross say? Here lies the king of the Jews, right? They put on a throne, or they put on a robe over his back. They were making fun of him, but what they really didn't know is that these guys were actually, if they were doing it in the right way, paying tribute to the actual king of this earth. They killed the actual king of this earth. Now let me fast forward just a little bit more, because this is an important part that I want you to understand. The kingdom of God still has a king. The very beginning of this sermon, we said the only way for a king to transfer the power is to do what? Is to abdicate, to die, to to give the power over. Did Jesus die? He sure did, but guess what? He resurrected again three days later. So the king of this earth, the king of this place, his kingdom is still alive today. He's not dead. He didn't. That's why it was so important for Jesus to resurrect from that cross. That's why it's so important. I'm giving away my Easter sermon a little bit here, but it's so important to understand the reason why Jesus had to come back to life is because his kingdom is still here in this place. We don't serve a dead king. We serve a king who is alive. And this place is his kingdom. And we have to understand that. It has been God's hope. I don't even want to use that word. It's been God's plan since the very beginning to make this place his kingdom. Not heaven, not some future place. We don't have to sit there and go, God, I can't wait to get to your kingdom. of. Uh, I can't wait to be in your kingdom where there's going to be no pain and no suffering. Are we still having pain and suffering on this earth? Yes, we are. But can we live in God's kingdom in this place right here and right now? Yes, we certainly can. It doesn't have to be a futuristic place that we're going to go to sometime. It is here and now. Wherever you allow God to reign in your life means the kingdom of God can be there. If that's on your job, if that's in your family, if that's in anything that you do, as long as God reigns in that, and as long as you don't try to become king, as long as you don't say, I'm going to make the decisions because I know what's best for me, Lord. I know what I need to do. I don't need your help. I can do this. If we continue to give God the glory, if we continue to allow him to be the king over our lives, then the kingdom of God is here in this place right now. Through Jesus, the kingdom can and will never again be given away. He is the king and it is his kingdom. Now, whether his kingdom succeeds in our lives, he gives us a choice to make. Unlike the kings of the Old Testament, unlike the kings of the past, he doesn't kill you for making a mistake. He just asks you to die to yourself. (laughs) but he'll never come down and and kill you for a mistake you made. 
he allows and gives room for you to do those things. Today, the question that has to be asked is simply this. Are you ready to live in a kingdom with a king who is still alive today? Are you ready to live in this place, in this kingdom that is his? You know, when I ask this question to people, one of the, one of the responses I often get, and it's, uh, even uh, it, during, our Bible, uh, during our, our Bible study on, on Friday, I, I'm not going to give you a hard time, right? I'm not going there, Cheddar Man. I told Cheddar Man that I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say there, Cheddar Man. But during our discussion, we had this discussion about the kingdom of God, right? And if the kingdom is here, then why is it so bad? That's a question that we have to ask, right? If God's kingdom is truly here, then why are such bad things happening in this place? It's a perfect question to ask. And it's simply this. One, there's, there's several answers to this, but the very first one that we have to answer is, is God really truly the king of this place? God never intended for bad things to happen in this place. It was sin, and it was the prince of this land, the, the great liar, the deceiver, uh, uh, Satan himself, who comes to this place and he makes bad things happen. Why? He's making bad things happen in this place because he wants you not to focus on the beauty of this kingdom. He wants you to focus on the pain and the suffering of this place. Because if we stop and we put all of those things aside and we say God's kingdom in this place can come and it can be a beautiful place, then guess what? Everybody, including myself, we want to do everything we can to make this kingdom established here in this place. But if we do that, what happens? Satan loses, and he knows that. And so his main job on this earth is to take this kingdom and to destroy it the best way that he can. And that's what he's doing. Some may ask, then, if it's his kingdom, then why isn't his kingdom growing? Or why does it see that his kingdom is shrinking? Because, again, that can easily be explained by saying this. One of the hardest things that we have to do as human beings is allow someone else to roll over your life. When we get down to the brass tacks of things, when we get down to the very simple thing, is we don't want God to really rule in our life. We want to roll over our own life. We want to make our own decisions. What if God chooses for me to go through some sickness or illness? It's his kingdom. I have to trust that he's going to pull me through that. What if God asked me to go through some sadness or difficulty? That's his kingdom. It's his choice. If we truly believe that God is king and he is good, then we have to trust him in everything that we're going through and allow the things of his kingdom to happen and allow us and see him in his throne and not in the negatives of the land around us. The other thing that we have to be careful of is that we don't listen to the lies of the liar himself. He will tell you that this is not a good place, that you should have control, that you should have all of these things, that you should have all of these wonderful blessings and that your life should be like roses and everything should be wonderful. And as you walk down the aisle, gold, streets of gold, and all of those things are going to come before you and that you should never question whether some, and it's only what I believe in. It doesn't care what anyone else, no. See, at the base of all of these things is Jesus wants us to be his servants. He wants us to be in his kingdom and Satan wants you to be king. That's the decision that we have to make. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. The problem of it is that too often we are trying to be our own kings in this land. We want to control things We listen to Satan who tells us that we should control all things and we should have all wisdom and all understanding. Friday night as I was laying in bed, (laughs) it was late at night, my beautiful wife was sleeping without making a noise. Um, I said she was making a beautiful noise. I didn't say anything else, right? You can tell her. Tell her that I told her she made beautiful noises, right? Okay. I couldn't sleep. And so I sat there and I was praying and I was asking the Lord, what does, get, you know, Lord, I, I, there's plenty of stuff on my head that I can, <laughs> right? People that come to my mind that I pray for, all of those things. And as I sat there, I, I, I just really felt like God was saying about the kingdom. 
One of the things that have been happening to me, and this is, Corey mentioned it, you know, the song that he, he read, but every time I read a scripture now with this idea of kingdom, it changes my mind. Every time I hear a song playing, I think of the kingdom. All of, I mean, it's just amazing how God is opening up my mind to these things, and I see it everywhere I go. But one of the things that was really impressed on my heart Friday night was this. We were never intended to be the kings of this world. We were always meant to serve in this kingdom. Adam and Eve were meant to serve the kingdom. They were given great power. The power that they were given was to name all the birds and the fish and the sea and all of the beasts and everything. They were given this ability to do this. Adam and Eve, it wasn't that they were second-class citizens. Being a servant, when we say being a servant, sometimes we take that negatively and we think of that in a very negative mindset. But being God's servant means that we have an amazing ability and power given to us. Read through Scripture and see every time someone is a servant of God, what they're given. It's amazing things was given to Adam and Eve. But we were never intended to be kings of this world. We try to be, but we were never intended to be. Yes, today the world is not in a good place. His kingdom is not growing if we're truthful with ourselves. But whose fault is that? Is that God's fault? It's his servants who are placed on this place where his kingdom is now. It's their fault. That means it's our fault. Not pastor's fault. A lot of it's Corey's fault, but we'll leave that alone. I didn't want to I didn't want to give Chaz a hard time, Corey. I had to give someone else a hard time. So. No, but all of it is our fault, right? It's, it's our collectively fault for not seeing the kingdom of God be who it was. If we wanted to see the kingdom of God truly grow in this place, then we should be at fault. We should be out there trying to get the kingdom of God growing, making him the king of our life, making him the king of every situation, every decision you make, everything you do. Is God portrayed when you walk out these doors and you go about your life, does someone look at you and say, you're not the king of your life, but God is. Do they see that automatically? Or do they say, oh, you're making decisions that's best for you and not for someone else? If we would put our collective heads, actually, I said if we would pull our collective heads out of our behinds and stop just waiting for this to be over, waiting for this place to be over and start living out his kingdom here on this earth in the way that he intended us to live, then this world would be a much better place. The problem of it is is too many Christians have made the excuse that they're waiting for heaven to come. Or they have decided to make this kingdom themselves like Adam and Eve did. Will you stand with me, please? It has, hopefully you understand that it has been God's desire since the very beginning of creation for his kingdom to be here on this earth. It has been God's desire to use man and woman since the very beginning of creation to manage and to operate and to be part of his kingdom. It wasn't until that man and woman decided to be kings themselves that everything go off the rails. God wants us to establish his kingdom here on this earth. And until we go about doing that correctly... This world's always going to look like the way it is until the king returns to this place. May I challenge you today. Last week I said wherever God reigns in your life, that's where the kingdom of God is. May I challenge you today to look at your life in a different way and say, God, where is it that I have taken control of my kingdom? And instead of giving you control, I have grabbed a hold of that control. Where is it that I have become king of my own life and not let you become king of that life? How am I doing in growing the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing, Father. Lord, I thank you for the establishment of your kingdom here on this earth, that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience your kingdom here. Jesus, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
the Prince of Peace. You are all of those amazing things, and you're those things right here, right now, in this place. Father, may we seek you first. As Matthew 6.33, as Corey read earlier, seek ye first the kingdom of God. May we do that in all things, Father. May we know that you are truly the King of kings and that we follow you. Father, forgive us for trying to be our own kings and this making this our own kingdom. Forgive us for listening to the lies of Satan who tries to deceive us to believe in those lies that our kingdom can be ours, but it's truly yours, Father. Help us today, Father, to live in your kingdom in the way that you have established that kingdom here on this earth. Help us to put aside our own desires of being king and instead allow you to be on the throne of where you deserve and should have been every day of our life from the very beginning. Help us today to follow you, Father. Forgive us for those times that we've tried to take the keys of the kingdom and make it our own kingdom. Forgive us for the times that we have ignored you. Forgive us for the times that we have listened to the Satan, the great liar, the great deceiver. And instead, let us live today in your kingdom. Help us, Father. Help us to be who you call us to be, your servants in your kingdom. give you the glory, we give you the honor, we give you the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. Oh,
Salvation is the beginning of seeing God's kingdom here on this earth. So if you're here watching online or you're at home, if you're here watching online, (laughs) hopefully you're not watching online while you're sitting here, but maybe. If you're at home watching online, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ before, may today be that day. Not that we can somehow punch our ticket to heaven and wait for that day to come, but so that we can experience the kingdom of God in this place. That is what salvation does. It opens up the ability for us to see God's kingdom, placing him on the throne where he deserves to be. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. There's someone here that's never done that before, never given life or asking, giving their life to Christ, asking them to, asking Jesus to come into your heart, to be the king of your life and the king in this kingdom. May you do it today. Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that this is true, that we can have salvation. What that means is that we can have and view the kingdom because we are part. We are made servants in his kingdom and given power like never before. Father, thank you. I pray that if there's one here today that's never done that, that they would say that prayer, asking you to become the king of their life, to enter into your kingdom here on this earth. Father, help us as we go forth from this place to serve you in the way that you deserve to be served. Not kings of our own life, but instead putting you first. Seeking the power that you promise us, the dominion and the purpose and plan that you have given to us. But help us in this place, Father, to first put you on that throne. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, we say, Father. Help us to seek that first. And all else will be added to us. We love you, Lord. We glorify you. We ask you to send us forth from this place to further your kingdom in our communities and in our neighborhoods and in our families, Father. To see your kingdom established again here on this earth. We love you, Lord. We honor you and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you again next week.